Uh, Lord, as we reflect now on uh, this word to us in the book of James, uh, that we may hear what it is that we need to hear from you and your word. And uh, we ask for your spirit to be at work amongst us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, it is a joy to reflect upon God's word with you this afternoon. Uh, And it's a joy to do so in a book like James, which has been our conversation partner here for the last couple of months. And the New Testament letter we've been reading fits squarely with, I guess you could say, our focus this year at Church Hill, which is the theme of Sunday is Monday, yeah, which is real Christian faith is a, um, it's a lived faith. Uh, it, it, it's not merely something to reflect upon or to feel just good about. Uh, real Christian faith is a lived and you could say a transformative faith over a lifetime. Uh, And last week, as we read chapter 3, we came across a key piece of information, which is a changed life does not come about by mere increased personal effort. Uh, No, a changed life is uh, the result of something. And in this letter of James, it's the result of wisdom. Wisdom. Uh, What did Rowan unpack for us last week? These words from James, they're at the very opening page of your zine. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Over the past few years, I've reflected on the book of James and I've come to regard it kind of as the wisdom literature of the New Testament. Uh, You may know that the Bible has a collection of books that are labelled wisdom literature. Uh, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Song of Songs, Job, Psalms. These Old Testament books are, for the most part, inherently practical. Uh, They focus around understanding true wisdom, wisdom that comes from God himself, and then exploring the lives that are lived out of this wisdom. And I think this is a great description of the book of James. Uh, He speaks of wisdom five times in his letter, and we've found that this book from start to finish is inherently practical. But for me, there's one other framework operating in James that plants it alongside this wisdom literature. And it's a framework that is so prevalent in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. And it can be at best described as a, a gain versus gift framework. Let me explain. Uh, it suggests that there are two broad ways to consider your life or life and your place within it. One sees life primarily as an opportunity to seek gain, uh, to place myself at the centre and use my abilities to lift myself up and to gain friends, money, status, influence, happiness, stuff. Uh, That's a life of gain. Uh, The gift mentality is somewhat different. It sees life primarily as an arena in which we receive gifts from a generous God. This approach has this generous God at its centre, not myself, and looks for God's daily provision and His guiding Word. 
Uh, in Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, actually, the one who takes the path of gain is called the fool. They're very busy and they're always scheming. Uh, while the one who receives all of life as a gift is actually called wise, peace-filled, blessed. What does James write in the very opening chapter of this letter that we're reading? He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I remember it was uh, early February in 2004, or late January actually, I think, I just started a year of backpacking around the world, and uh, I was gone for one year and two days. Um, left the 15th of January, got home the 17th of January. And uh, I figured, um, my journey started in Mexico, and I figured that getting out and seeing the world would be a gateway to gaining wisdom. I'd considered my trip, uh, like many others, as kind of like a search for meaning as you sort of wander the globe. But very early on in my trip, I read this book in the Bible, James, and I read these words, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously. And I still remember 15 years on sitting there thinking, are you kidding me? I've just committed to an entire year of traveling when I could have just asked God for wisdom and he would have given it to me and it would have been a lot cheaper. But nonetheless, I continued on with my journey. But it's this gift versus gain framework that is so key in the Bible to understanding wisdom and also understanding Christian faith itself. And I wonder which of these two approaches best summarizes your, your approach to life so far this year, or maybe even this week or this weekend. Gain versus gift. Last week in James chapter 3, we read his description of two types of wisdom. Worldly wisdom, which is driven by envy and selfish ambition. Gain, gain, gain. And godly wisdom, which he says, first of all, comes from heaven, gift, and is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit. Rowan pointed out last week for us that the fruit of worldly wisdom is disorder, primarily in our relationships, whilst the fruit of godly wisdom is order. Um, I've known some people, you may as well, perhaps you're in a season right now, who have achieved much, uh, who have gained really kind of the whole world, to use a metaphor, but whose personal and relational lives are incredibly disordered and they are deeply troubled. I've also known people who have faced great suffering, who are processing great loss, but whose lives are beautifully ordered and they carry an incredible peacefulness with them. There is a difference between the foolish and the wise as you read through the pages of the Bible. Today's passage in James takes us further into the nature and experience of foolish and wise living. And we see in verse 1, we start with disorder, with a question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Pause on that question for a moment. What causes the fights and the quarrels among you? Now, you could think global politics, what causes fights and quarrels. You could think local politics, 
There's plenty of fights and conflicts. You could think your work colleagues. Uh, You could think your family unit. Uh, You could think, if you have one, of your husband or your wife or your fiancé. You could think in the context of what James is writing here, our church family here. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Answer? This is actually a really easy one. Them. (laughs) They do, right? They're so stubborn, they're so rude, they're so inconsiderate, they're so arrogant, they just don't get it or me. What causes fights and quarrels among you? They do. He does. She does. Easy question. Sydney-based psychologist Jenny Brown, she wrote in her 2012 book, Growing Yourself Up, that a key flaw, a key flaw we often make in relationships is putting our energy into seeking to change the other person. Whilst the other person may indeed be adding to the conflict, uh, she notes that the only person you can change is yourself. And so taking responsibility for your own self in relationships is a key part of growing up. But of course, uh, the Bible is ahead of its time, uh, giving us this wisdom years in advance. So James writes, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. Do you see how this framework of gain leads to disorder? Interestingly, it's a specific type of gain. It's one that says, if I can follow all my desires, I will gain the life I want. Now, I reckon 50, 30, 20 years ago, the mantra, if it feels good, do it, was kind of the cheeky, rebellious push of an individualized culture. You know, if it feels good, do it. But today, I wonder it seems to have significantly shifted to become our moral compass. If it feels good, it must be right. Uh, Some have observed that in our current secular culture, having discarded Christian faith as a viable truth, we're kind of left alone with ourselves as our only moral authorities. And what appears to be the very centre of myself? Well, it's my desires. Surely I can trust them to tell me what is right and good and to be pursued. After all, they are my desires. But true wisdom warns us. Uh, In Proverbs, it says, She calls out in the streets wisdom. Our desires are complex, malleable, fluctuating things. They are certainly not all bad, but they are also not always good. Our desires are not necessarily reliable moral compasses. Uh, Even in my marriage, if I was to live a life of gain and simply follow my desires, I would be a terrible, terrible husband. Uh, I would not serve, I would not compromise, I would not be faithful, I would not be loving. But it is worth saying that the life of gain, with me at the centre, following and cultivating every desire that flashes into my heart, 
is so deeply, deeply attractive because it, it just promises so much. But as Proverbs describes it, it is in fact kind of a, a banquet in the grave. It, it's not actually a path towards real life, real wisdom. And James goes on in our passage today to note that this life of gain just does not just extend to other people, but also to God. And so he writes this, he says, you do not have because you do not ask God. But when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So I guess in this kind of wise, foolish framework, it seems that the fool believes God can be transformed into a, um, like a personal genie a power that exists to simply give me what I want, which you could argue is the height of a disordered relationship, that God exists just to give me what I want. Um, it's incredible, though, how easy it is to craft this view of God. Some people walk away from faith in, in following Jesus because they don't feel that God has given them what He should give them. It's a very powerful flaw for us to establish in our hearts and minds. God exists to give me what I want. I wonder if you've ever crafted this view of God. Um, it's true, I think, that throughout my life, God has not given me what I want in every season. Uh, and I'm sure that many of us would have a similar testimony. Even when some of those things I wanted seemed inherently good, you know, it wasn't like I wanted to wake up in the morning and have a new Lamborghini out the front. There were inherent desires that I, I sought from God that seemed to be good, which seemed not to be delivered. But I've come to see that there is, in the long run, uh, there's only one reason for this, uh, and that is that God loves me, and that He loves you too. And his plans, at least this is what's spoken of in the Bible, his plans are for you to be transformed into the likeness of his son, Jesus. Regardless of what other voices tell us is most important, there is nothing better in life than this journey of transformation. Transformation to become more like Jesus himself, the son of God. And so, God does not give us what we want in every season, but in every season, if we seek Him and trust in Him, His Spirit is at work to make us more like Christ. And He is incredibly powerful to do that. With a humble heart, I thank God for that. But indeed, here in James, the people he is writing to, it seems that they have crafted a view of God that says, he really just needs to give me what I want. To finish this opening section, James kind of switches briefly into prophet language, uh, recalling the words of Hosea 3, and you'll see it there, reminding us as readers that if we seek a gain attitude towards God himself, we are in fact an adulterous people. Uh, it's a very evocative, deliberately evocative language. Friendship with the world, that is, allowing worldly wisdom to guide your heart and mind, places you and I as an enemy of God, 
uh, and unfaithful to Him with the life He has um, given us. Perhaps we're not just unfaithful to Him, but we start seeking to usurp His rightful role as judge. So, the end of today's passage, James says that we also do this when we slander other people. Uh, now, slander is not the same as rebuke, which is worth noting. Uh, rebuke is, in, in the biblical concept, is a loving word to help a brother or sister in Christ stay on track. But slander is a deliberate takedown of another person through speaking lies or spreading false information. And James says that if and when we do this, we are foolishly trying to take God's place as judge, which is another ghastly disordering of relationships based on gain. So, let's just pause there as we've kind of moved through this opening. How are you feeling? Because the Bible's quite challenging. Uh, and as you read it honestly and slow down and read it, it's challenging. So to recap, uh, worldly wisdom is often based on gain. It's often shaped by our deep, unchecked desires of bitter envy and selfish ambition. And whilst following these desires seems like wisdom, it is in fact foolishness that leads to disordered relationships between each other it redefines our view of God as a power that exists simply just to give me what I want. You could also add that this worldly wisdom leaves a disorder within our own hearts and minds as we try and carry the burden of determining what's right and wrong, which was never really a burden that was meant to be ours to carry. So what's the way forward? Yeah, what, what is the way forward? Especially if you know the experience of following worldly wisdom or you've been broken by your own desires or you're just tired of the lonely burden of trying to be your own moral authority. Well, the answer here in James is repentance. Repentance. Turn from a life of gain to a life of gift. Seek true wisdom. Uh, in humility, open your hands and receive. In our 12-verse section today in chapter 4, verse 6 is the very center verse. It is the way forward. One sentence, six words, but He gives us more grace. But He gives us more grace. God's grace is His rugged love that refuses to give up on you. God's grace is His authoritative voice that declares you are not defined by your mistakes or by your shame. You are defined by Him. He is God. And He has forgiven your mistakes and He has covered your shame with His grace. Through the work of His Son, Jesus, at the cross, God can look upon you as righteous and pure and as a child of His. And how does all this happen for us? Well, we drop the life of constant gain and humble ourselves to receive from Him. 
to receive forgiveness, to receive a new identity, uh, to receive a new authoritative voice in our life, uh, to receive a new hope, to receive a new future, to receive a new family. Indeed, I think this is why James quotes Proverbs chapter 3, where he says that God opposes the proud, but he shows favour to the humble. Why is that the case? I think there could be many reasons, but one perhaps is this, that one of the things that pride does is it leaves us, and apparently many of James' readers, unable to receive. If you are super proud, it is often really hard to accept help because your pride gets in the way. But also, if you are super proud, it's often hard to actually receive love from another. God opposes the proud because when we're proud, we are not open to receiving. But the humble have open hands. And we say, I'm actually willing to receive from you, God. And so James has a word for his readers who are in that situation, and for us as well, as we read it today. I'm just going to read it straight from verse 7, because they're great words. He says this to us, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. I love that. He will lift you up. You I spent a whole lifetime trying to lift yourself up and just end up tired and weary and... Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. This passage in James really calls for us to be open and honest with God. And perhaps one thing you may even want to do this week is like hang on to the zine. Take this into your week. Page 4, the confession that we prayed today, it is a beautiful prayer. An honest prayer. Maybe you may want to use this prayer during the week. Have a read over it, make it your own. Come in humility to God and receive from Him, His Word, His grace. It can be a really tough thing, I think. It is a tough thing, I know, to drop the life of gain. And usually, if we do drop the life of gain, we then chase after it and pick it up again. And, but to actually humble ourselves, admit reality, is a beautiful thing. James suggests this is the gateway into the good life. Uh, the devil will tempt us to place our achievements, our gain, above the relationships in our lives and above our generous Creator God. To see our achievements and our gain as more important than our relationship with Him made possible through His Son Jesus and with others that are loving and deep and full of meaning. James says, resist the devil, don't fall for that and he will flee from you. Come close to God, receive His wisdom, submit to His reality, which is in the end the only reality. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and in His goodness and generosity, He will lift you up. What a great description of Christian faith uh, and the gateway into a transformed 
life. That's what James is all about. I'm going to say a very short prayer, and then Bronte's going to come and lead us in a little more time of prayer as we bring desires, confessions, requests to God. Um, So let me just pray very briefly for us, and then Bronte will continue. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for your generosity. We thank you for the life you have given each one of us. Lord, I pray that we will learn what it looks like in humility to receive from you. Amen.